if you live a life of obedience, if you seek to obey Him, if you're growing as a Christian, it's not because there's something in you that enables you to do that. There is, as it were, a stream of life flowing from Christ Himself that empowers you to live like that. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. If you are in Christ, what are your responsibilities after salvation or justification? Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part 17 of his series titled, This Is Your Life. We've been looking through the book of Ephesians chapter 2 at the incredible work of God in the lives of the redeemed. Today, Tom will examine the third goal that God had in mind when He saved us by grace, and that is for the purpose of doing good works through Christ Jesus. This verse is key to the whole passage. It's what Paul has been building toward through his entire letter. This verse makes two surprising declarations about the change that has happened to you and the reason God did it the way He did. Let's join our teacher to find out more now on The Word Unleashed. If I were to ask you, what is the greatest of all of God's works, what would you say? Maybe your mind would immediately go to the cosmos itself. I mean, if you stop to think about the endless reaches of space that our telescopes are just beginning to allow us to glimpse, then certainly it is mind-boggling. Earth, on which we live, this tiny planet, as you know, revolves around our sun, And Earth is hurling through space, even as we sit here this morning, at some 66,000 miles an hour. For the Earth to complete its rotation around the Sun at that speed takes it 365 days, 6 hours, 9 minutes, and 9.54 seconds. But that's not all. Our entire solar system, the stars and the planets, of the solar system in which we live sits on the outskirts of the Milky Way galaxy and our entire solar system is constantly orbiting the galactic center of the Milky Way galaxy. Astronomers have calculated that it would probably take our solar system about 226 million years to make one rotation around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And our entire galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, they tell us is also hurling through space in one great grand orbit that we can't even track. Just the Milky Way galaxy alone contains some 100 billion stars. And studies of distant space with optical and radio telescopes indicates that there may be 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Some estimates of the number of stars reach 10 billion trillion. I have no idea what that number looks like. And all in one day, God spoke it into existence. That's certainly a grand demonstration of the greatness and creative power of our God. You might say, no, you know, when I think of God's greatness, I don't think of the cosmos, I think of man. And certainly man is an incredible demonstration of the creative power of God. Your body started as one cell. 
The average adult body is made up of a hundred trillion cells. Your body has a, a number of organs within it that continue to function without your thinking about it and perform all of the functions to maintain and sustain life. For example, in your chest, there are two football-sized organs called your lungs that exchange spent carbon dioxide for fresh oxygen. Those two football-sized organs, to accomplish that, contain inside them the same surface area as a tennis court. Your heart, that muscle inside your chest, beats 100,000 times a day, pumping blood through a network of blood vessels that are 60,000 miles long. If you live an average lifetime, your heart will beat 3 billion times and pump 46 million gallons of blood. Certainly an amazing creation. But as amazing as the cosmos is, as amazing as the human body is, neither of those is, by God's reckoning, His greatest work. As great as God's physical creation is, it is not His masterpiece. Here's the amazing reality. If you're in Christ this morning, if you're a Christian, according to the Apostle Paul, you, as a new believer in Jesus Christ, are God's greatest creation. God has designed you as a new creature with meticulous precision and with the greatest care to ensure that you will fulfill exactly the role for which He has made you just as everything else in the universe does. That's the message of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In these verses, in this paragraph that begins in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 and runs down through verse 10, Paul describes how God has spiritually rescued us, a rescue that was entirely of God from beginning to end. Rescue by its very nature implies that someone else is accomplishing it, and that's certainly true with spiritual salvation. In verses 1 through 3, Paul showed us what we were, what we were like when God found us. In verses 4 through 6, what God did, exactly how God accomplished that rescue, how He made us alive. He spoke life into our dead hearts, and we were raised from the dead spiritually. And in verses 7 through 10 of this paragraph, Paul explains why God did it. What did God have in mind? You see, Paul tells us that God had three goals in mind when He decided to rescue us solely by an act of sovereign grace. What are those three great goals God had in mind? Well, verse 7 tells us the first goal was to display the glory of His grace. To display the glory of His grace. Verse 7, so that for this reason, here's why God did it, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That He might demonstrate, that He might put on display the incredible wealth of His grace. God saved you, He rescued you to put the glory of His grace on display. There's a second reason that Paul offers us here. We looked at it last week in verses 8 and 9, and that's to destroy all human boasting. The reason God saved you the way He saved you and didn't allow you to participate at all, didn't allow me to participate at all, so we can take none of the credit, is to destroy all human boasting. Look at verse 8. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We can take no credit. God saved us the way he saved us so that no human being can take the smallest shred of credit. Today we want to look at the third goal that God had in mind when he saved us by grace. It's found in verse 10, to guarantee our good works. To guarantee our good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This verse is really the key to this whole passage. We could even legitimately say that this is what Paul has been building toward through this entire letter and through this entire section. He's driving to this reality. In fact, let me go a step further and say that verse 10 is the foundation on which all of the commands of chapters 4 through 6 are built, as we will see later. It is absolutely imperative that we understand what the Spirit means in this verse, because this is the foundation on which all of the imperatives of chapter 4 through 6 are built. This brief verse, as we take it apart this morning, makes two surprising declarations about the change that has happened to us and the reason God did it the way He did it. Two surprising declarations that I want us to see together. The first declaration is in the first phrase, we are God's creation. We are God's creation. Look at verse 10, we are His workmanship. Workmanship is not a word that we use So it's a little unclear, perhaps, a little vague. The Greek word that's translated workmanship is a very unusual word. It's the word from which we get our English word poem. It's the word poema. You recognize the word poem in it. It literally means something that has been made, a work, a creation. In classical Greek, this word was used to describe the work of a craftsman. In fact, in one particular case, it's used of a craftsman making a crown. In the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, where we can learn a lot about the words in the New Testament, we find there it's used in a variety of ways, but it's especially used of the skillful result of the works both of God and of man. It's the work that a craftsman produces. In the New Testament, it's used only two times here and in Romans 1.20. In Romans 1.20, it's used to refer to the original creation of God, the creation of the universe. But here in Ephesians, it refers to God's new creation of the believer. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? Because originally, we understand that man was God's creation. Man was the apex, the the high point of God's creation. On the sixth day, God made man, and from man He made woman in His own image. The high point. And yet sin comes. In Genesis chapter 3, man falls into sin, and that creation of God, that best and greatest of God's creation, is marred and ruined and destroyed. And the history of the Old Testament simply unfolds how badly ruined and how desperately in need of help man was. How badly destroyed 
God's creation had become. So there is then, the New Testament tells us, in Christ, a new divine act, a recreation. It's an interesting picture of salvation, isn't it? I mean, Paul has already in chapter 2 given us several word pictures of our salvation. He's described it as a resurrection. God raised us from the dead. He's described it as liberation from slavery. We were enslaved to the world and to our own flesh and to Satan himself, and we've been liberated. He describes salvation as a rescue from divine wrath. The end of verse 3 says, we were children of wrath. We have been delivered from God's wrath. And here, he says, it's like a new creation. Our salvation is like God started from scratch and made us again. Reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, doesn't it? Where Paul says, for if any man is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Or we could translate it like this, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. So when you go back to Ephesians 2 and you look at the word workmanship, understand that we could legitimately translate that word as a work of art, the work of a craftsman. As believers, we are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece. By the way, the emphasis in this first statement is on God. Literally, it reads like this in the Greek text, of Him we are a creation. The emphasis falls on God. Understand, of Him we are a masterpiece. Paul is playing off the picture of God as a master craftsman or as an artist, picture that's often seen in the Old Testament. This Greek word, poema, from which we get our word poem, can refer to all kinds of works of art. It's used in classical literature to refer to painting, to sculpture, to a song, to architecture, or to a poem. But I think Paul is intentionally calling to mind the Old Testament and the most frequent metaphor of God as a craftsman or artist in the Old Testament in reference to his people is what? A potter. You remember there are so many times in the Old Testament when God is pictured this way. Let me just show you one. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64 and verse 8. Isaiah writes... But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, you are potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. That picture is in Isaiah 29, Isaiah 41, Isaiah 45, Jeremiah 18. Consistently throughout the Old Testament, when the authors of Scripture want to portray God as this sort of master worker, this craftsman, this artist, They go to the image of the clay and the potter. Paul uses that same picture in other places in his writings. Some of you studied this morning Romans chapter 9 in your Sunday school classes. That picture is there as well. All of us have probably had the occasion to watch a modern potter at work. We've watched as they've fashioned a piece of clay into a beautiful pot or a vase or a bowl. It's fascinating to watch as they throw the clay and then begin to spin it. And as it spins, they mold and shape it with their hands into exactly the particular shape they want. You see, the point here is clear. The point is in the same way 
that a pot is made by a potter and is designed and fashioned to fulfill the ends for which the potter intends it, in the same way, God has recreated us. He has made us His masterpiece, and as He has shaped us on the potter's wheel, if you will, He has designed us exactly to fulfill the original purpose He had in mind. We are His creation. We are His work of art. This powerful image of God as the craftsman creating us comes with several implications that are far-reaching. You see, the idea of us being His masterpiece implies ownership. The artist, the potter, owns the pot. It belongs to Him. Also implied in this is sovereignty. The potter has the right to decide to do with each piece he makes whatever he chooses to do with it. And also involved in this image is design. The bowl doesn't decide how it will live out its existence. It is shaped by the potter with specific characteristics to fill a certain role, whatever that may be. And we'll see in a moment what the potter had in mind when he created us. But this grand declaration that begins verse 1 serves as a kind of hinge in this passage. It flows out of verses 8 and 9 and it leads into the end of verse 10. So think of this first phrase as a kind of hinge on which the passage turns. Notice verse 10 begins with the little word, for. As a side note, by the way, when you're reading your Bible, be aware that often the smallest words, words like by, for, but, are the most important words in the passage because they mark a change in the author's flow of thought, and they carry huge meaning. You need to understand what that word is doing, what's it functioning as in the passage. In verses 8 and 9, what's been happening? As we saw last week, in verses 8 and 9, Paul has just explained that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And at the end of verse 9, notice he says, so that no one may boast. For... Because we are His workmanship. We are His work of art. Here is another proof of salvation being by grace alone. We didn't make ourselves. God made us. We can't boast in what we are. We can't boast in the beauty of the vase that we are because the potter turned it. He's solely responsible. Another proof of salvation being by grace alone without human merit or efforts. We are His creation. Now think about that for a moment and ask yourself if this is how you normally think about your salvation, that you have been created by God. You see, we are so human and so fallen that our minds naturally gravitate to think of our salvation in human terms. If I were to ask you, well, how did you become a Christian? You might say something like this, I heard the gospel and I decided to follow Jesus, or I gave my life to Christ, or I accepted Christ, or I received Christ, and of course, all of those things are true. There's an element of truth to all those statements. But what Paul wants us to see is that before our decisions, and before our prayers, and before anything pertaining to us, God as a master craftsman recreated us. He remade me by an act of His grace. 
So that connects back to verses 8 and 9. But the phrase, we are his workmanship, not only points back to the idea that we have no reason to boast before God, it also points toward the end of verse 10 and introduces us to a new idea. If we are God's creation, God's masterpiece, his work of art, then like all craftsmen, like all great artists, God must have had a finished product in mind when he began. He must have had a plan. And this verse makes it clear that, in fact, he did. In this verse, Paul not only makes the declaration, number one, that we are God's creation, but he ends the verse and the paragraph with a second great declaration. Not only are we God's creation, but secondly, God has created us with a specific design. God has created us with a specific design in mind. Look again at verse 10. For we are His workmanship created. This word created and everything that follows it in the rest of the verse explains what God had in mind when He set out to create His greatest masterpiece. By the word, that little word created means to call into being what has not previously existed. In the New Testament, it's only used of God. And it's only used of God doing two things. Of God's original act of creating the universe. In Colossians 1.16, it says, By Jesus all things were created. There's our word. And it's used, secondly, of God's change of the inner person of the believer. Keep your finger there in Ephesians 2 and turn over a couple of pages to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. You'll see it used in this way. Colossians 3, verse 10, says, I want you to put on the new self, the new person you are in Christ, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You were created as a new person, if you're a Christian, by God. Now, back in Ephesians 2, notice he says, created in Christ Jesus. If you've been studying with us through the book of Ephesians, this phrase doesn't come as a surprise to you at all because Paul began the book, and we've seen it over and over again, by saying that everything we enjoy from God is because of our connection to Jesus Christ. You say, how am I as a Christian connected to Jesus Christ? Well, you're connected or you're in Christ in two ways. You're connected to him in the sense that he is your permanent representative. Everything he does, you get credit for. And you are also connected to him in a spiritual way. The best way I can illustrate that is it's as if there were a spiritual umbilical cord running from Christ at the throne of God into your spiritual life and giving you the energy to live for Jesus Christ. If you live a life of obedience, if you seek to obey Him, if you're growing as a Christian, it's not because there's something in you that enables you to do that. There is, as it were, a stream of life flowing from Christ Himself that empowers you to live like that. So, we were created because of our connection to Jesus Christ, because we are in Jesus Christ. And notice he goes on to say we were created for good works. Here we get into the idea of design. You were created with a specific design in mind, created for good works. By for, Paul means goal or purpose. God created us with this design in mind. 
what design? Good works. In verses 8 and 9, Paul deals with good works, and he says they're not good. But here he's saying that good works are connected to salvation. How do you reconcile that? Well, understand that Paul is making two entirely different points here. In verses 8 and 9, he's making one point. In verse 10, he's making another. In verses 8 and 9, Paul is making the point that the grounds of our salvation, the cause of our spiritual rescue, has nothing to do with our own efforts or our own works. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 17 of his series, This Is Your Life. Tom will have part 18 for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.